I think the best advice or the best in insight that I can give is using the forfeit framework. Like trying to understand not only like your product market fit, but really trying to understand your uh, market channel fit and your model channel fit and your product uh, model fit. Like we played with a lot of stuff along the years. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hey, my name is Christophe Fasquier, CEO and co-founder of Slides, and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Chris. Hey, Joseph. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm super good. I mean, end of the week. So, you know, like nice to end the week with a customer and with a podcast. I love it. It's extra fun to do a podcast with somebody that has created a product I love. So first thing first, Chris, the elevator pitch. Can you please tell the listeners, what does your company, Slight, do? Yeah, so Slight is a team knowledge base. And what we do is we try to build with AI a tool that you know automatically kind of make removes the the cause of the knowledge base. Uh, so so far we have like ask that just answer questions for you like that's like the big new thing that we shipped at the beginning of the year. And what we are working on very hard is to make the experience of knowledge base, which is used to be like a big core for many people in creating the knowledge and maintaining it, uh, uh, something extremely fun by having like a robot doing like half of the job for you basically. If we pause at slide for a while and mm -hmm. bring the focus towards you, yeah, who is Christoph? Uh, you know, I'm a 32 years old, uh, French guy, engineer, designer. Well, at least I love design and I love tech stuff and math and these kind of things. And uh, you know, fan of tech, like I always launch startups. Like I basically launched my first startups when I was in engineering school, and uh, I never stopped since then. And uh, yeah. That's that's where I am, and I'm you know uh, married, living in Berlin with a three years old baby for now. Yeah, you mentioned several startups. Slide now, as everybody who's tuned into this episode can see. Why slide? Why did you start this current company? Uh, it's actually very simple. Like slide, it was in 2016 that I started having the idea and starting kind of like you know trying some line of codes around that, and it was very. Simple. I had my companies before, and I am a big kind of note taker. Like I, I needed to think and to prepare work to write things down, and you know, like uh, the problem was that everything was locked in my phone, right? Like so, I had my co-founders, I had the interns I, which I worked with, and I had to kind of manually kind of like send them through email, Slack, or whatever we used at the time. I guess WhatsApp or Messenger, rather, even. And so, you know, I was like, okay, you know, this like the experience of writing on a not taking app is great. The standard is Google Docs, but it's so complicated to share in teams and so complicated to organize. And I learned a bit after that the real standard for enterprise was Confluence and this kind of tool, which is very kind of static, very locked, very hard to use, very uh, slow, you know, like all these things that kind of make it not a fun experience to use. And so the premise of Slide was, what if you had a not taking app for teams? As and, and the goal was really to say, by default, because it's an attacking app, you will write in it. And because it's for teams, by default, it will be shared among the team. So really, like, the goal was to say, 
let's make a, 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 a product so fun to use, so nice to use with such a good writing experience, but that by default, you will use it every day and make it like uh, so that the premise uh, design-wise is that the information is shared by default across the team so that by default, you have access to all the knowledge of all your teammates. I'm actually looking at you and I have my other tab with my notes inside. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so so that, that you can take with you. you. You are helping me a lot with internals, but also for the podcast. With the yeah, notes. that's amazing. <laughs> and uh, it's time now for five quick ones. I will say five words and you, you can only say maximum one sentence. First thought regarding that. Okay, okay. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. AI. Ask the tool we built in Slide with AI. Sauce. Um, eFounders, uh, which is a startup studio that we worked with, launching a lot of super brilliant SaaS. Knowledge. Uh, slide. <laughs> Sales. Revenue. Needed. <laughs> Key. And the last one. Summer. Uh, boat. Sailing. Nice. <laughs> and now... It's time for business development. All right. What are the top two to three ways you work with AI at Slight? Uh, it's so fun because I think we are still discovering it. I'm very curious about yours, actually. Like the first one that comes to mind that we use like on a daily basis is uh, anytime that we are in sales uh, uh, process, like with a new lead, there are like a lot of questions coming up about compliance, about, you know, like, uh, can we do this with this plan? Uh, you know, like questions about the product, right? And the problem is the disjunction between products and tech and sales or business developers, right? Yeah. And so we use ask where you just hit command shift K and you just ask a question like, you know, these customers ask for the pricing with guests. How many guests can you have by paid seats? You know, like this kind of stuff. So that's that would be the first one that obviously comes to mind because I do use it every day. Um, the second one is just like rewriting stuff with GPT, honestly. Like just I have like this chat GPT stuff and I just like keep like, or, or, or even a better one is making it translate. Like you're not a native speaker like me. Yeah. I think that's one of our biggest kind of like uh, disadvantage. Yeah, I've, I've used it like four times already today. Can you translate this quickly? Yeah, exactly. I, actually, like it's funny, like we will uh, bring a slash translate in slide just for this purpose. Just because I think like some people might just be better writing in their own language and then you know like maybe gpt does a better job than them at you know using the right words so yeah i would say this thank you for sharing and uh, let's talk some kpis then which top kpis on a company level are the most important for you and please tell me why you have chosen them yeah, all right so it's actually easy because i have them in my investor update like the really top level metrics that we always look at MRR, uh, user retention, week plus 10 in qualified team, the burn rates, runway, and headcount. So the headcount is actually not that important. So uh, I could use weekly active users or weekly active engaged users or weekly active paid users. But at the end of the day, uh, all this converts very clearly into revenue. So MRR is just our baseline metric. Like there is nothing more important than that. Um, as long as you know, like we have like some sanity check on the retention. Like, which is why we look at user retention week plus 10. And right now, I think in this current period, like uh, we might add NR, net revenue retention, on top of NR as like the second kind of leading metric. It's super clear with your financial slash sales metric here. But what would you say if you look from the product perspective quickly? What is the like 
North Star for the product angle? Is it number of weekly users, daily users? Is it user retention? And what the, within that is the case then? If I look at what we have in our dashboard, like uh, we will look at, at weekly active uh, engaged users. So we look at weekly because our product has a weekly uh, nature to it. Like you don't necessarily have to use it daily to get value out of it. But yeah. if you don't use it weekly, it does kind of like show that you are not like that sticky to it. So weekly is important. We look at engagement rather than activity because you have a big difference. Like we have a big split between our users, uh, inside the customer where you have a lot of writers and you have a lot of readers. And we know that readers uh, get value out of it only if they search actively or ask or, you know, do these kind of like actions ah. that are like uh, really showing that they get value. If they just follow a link, read it, you know, it's not like a very engaged activity no. and it doesn't mean that it will come back uh, tomorrow. So what we look at is weekly engaged users as in uh, uh, engaged activity, which are editing a document, creating a document, asking question, searching for a document, all these engaged uh, metrics. This explains even more with slight ask also. Thank you for uh, the insights regarding KPIs. We move on then to go to market. This is, I'm super curious here about uh, with your company. Can you share some of your best practices around building a go-to-market machine and how you are doing it? So I don't, I don't know like who you get in the podcast versus uh, like in terms of character. I'm a product person, right? Like first and foremost. So I learned so much about GTM building slide. And I'm still, I, I'm, I'm nowhere like an expert, but I think if there are like some product leaders and, you know, people that are not decided like ultimate GTM leaders here, I think the best advice or the best in, insight that I can give is using the forfeit framework, like trying to understand not only like your product market fit, but really trying to understand your uh, market channel fit and your model channel fit and your product ch- model fit. Like we played with a lot of stuff along the years. And I think like the biggest kind of like, uh, 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 you know, like change and improvements in our business we've seen is when we touched the pricing and adapted it to our ICP. Uh, when we played with the model and adapted it with our, you know, like uh, our market as well and the, the, the user journey. Um, so really kind of looking at the forfeit uh, model of Brian Balfour, where you really see all these pieces of your go-to-market kind of motion, uh, I think is, is probably the best uh, tool you can use. And if you look back then, what common mistakes do you see that you did yourself earlier with Slides go-to-market strategy? We didn't kind of like think about this connection. So we said, for instance, we are product-led and we had a full freemium model without sharing capabilities like developed enough. And that was like the most stupid move that I did, I think. Like, for instance, we didn't have share by email before two years ago. Uh, or we had like a very limited public sharing and we were trying to make a product-led motion work. And that was like just a very, very uh, stupid approach, I I believe. Like we didn't connect it like the model uh, with the channel that we are trying to have. We pause then then and move on because you have already tapped into the question now because Ah. you, you mentioned quickly pricing and I know what's coming. It's actually time for the first external question in this episode because I don't want it yet to be me shooting questions. I want to lift in other cool people from the SaaS community around Europe. So here we have a question from Linda Wennerström at Mumang. And this is her question. Hello, Christoph. Here is my question for you. How have you approached the process of finding the optimal price for your SaaS products? 
I don't think we have yet found the optimal. I think it's a never going kind of like uh, motion. Honestly, every time that we change our price or model rather, I think I don't think the price is the, for us at least the right question. Like it's very standardized by our market. Like it's you know between five to fifteen dollars per seat around all the markets, and then you have a big difference between some tools that try to sell on just creators or some kind of admin seats, and then you know the rest is reader or whatever. If you look at the kind of like blended price at the size of the team, it's always the same. It's always come back around this price of $10 per user per month uh, with discounts with size. So the, the, the finding the price was not hard because it's so standard by our market and it's what people are, you know, comparing us with. But the model at which we pay people, like do you pay when you write, when you read, when you have like full access, when you are a guest, uh, do you have a limit of paywall? Uh, when does it stop? Is this trial? Uh, based in terms of time? Is it like based on features? Is it based on a consumption of usage? Um, that's the thing where we iterated multiple times. And honestly, I don't think that we could have um, done that without iterating. We started, for instance, with a very, very bad model where it was 50 documents rolling per month. And so what happened? It's so every month you would refresh 50 documents yeah. uh, and you would kind of have this to consume. And what happened was that a lot of uh, our customers were saying to their team, well, not customers, actually, users, were saying to their team, don't create in Slack because, you know, don't create anymore. Like, wait for the next month. And that's like, you know, worst thing that you can yeah. ever have. It's like, you know, like, don't get engaged too much with the product, you know, like, don't fall in love yet. Like, that's the, the worst thing that, <laughs> that could have happened. So we just learned from, uh, you know, trying and, and iterating uh, with our customers. And every time that we did like an experiment, we had like the best uh, learning. Uh, so yeah. Linda, uh, thank you for your question. I hope you liked the answer. And uh, what would you say lately have been the best performing sales channels from your end at Slight? Um, referral, uh, not referral as a, or we do have referral programs uh, from users, but that's more long-term and that's more brand awareness really at the, at the time. Or, you know, smaller teams converting, but not like big uh, customers. But referral like G2 and, and Captera and this kind of thing. Um, we are really focusing on the value proposition of knowledge base and people convert to knowledge base are uh, on the lookout for knowledge base only maybe two months every three years or four years. Yeah. And, and so it's very hard to have like outbound working, it's very hard to have like any kind of like very kind of mass approach working. So I guess, you know, our brand awareness and, you know, some very highly uh, kind of specific approach, which is the referral channel, uh, are the best for us. Yeah, it totally makes sense when you say it. It's a timing. Everybody knows that they need this. Uh, it's just like, w what is the best for us, etc. Yeah. But if you approach them without boundaries, like not, not relevant, but when it's relevant, it needs to be quick. Exactly. That's exactly that. When you're talking to bigger customers, what is the sales channels there? Is it still like inbound Captera and then you have inside sales or, or how do you work with a, the bit bigger segment? Yeah, like 99%, 90% of our leads come in inside sales. So it's really us positioning on the markets and being visible and capturing this uh, traffic, including for large tips. I don't know, like we are speaking with uh, 600, 1000 people till right now and they all came inbound. So we have an inside sales motion, of course, and it's a freemium product as well. So we are still playing with that. Like we are still thinking, like should we experiment to kind of close the door because it's a very very complex product. You can do so much with it. So we are still playing with the idea of maybe trying to kind of like tune down the kind of the you know like uh, the final of uh, 
small teams coming. Yeah. We have like uh, something where we know that we capture the intent of the largest one and we can demo them, all of them, you know, like all the product before they start using it. That's experiment that we, uh, that I want to run in, in, in a few weeks or months. Cool. And uh, even though you don't do so much outreach yourself, I am curious to hear what would you say is the best way to do outreach to you? Like if, when I did outreach to you, if a salesperson is to you, what what is the preferred way to you to get approached by somebody? Well, I am like you know you can detect that this was almost automated or even an AI that does that. Like it's so easy to to kind of pick up. To me, it's a cheap technique. Like it works for it's a hack that worked. Like at first you're like oh yeah that's nice and so on, and then you know you already got it ten times. And I think the one that feel that are really kind of like you know like connecting with you, typically the CEO that connect with you and literally ask you for advice, but that is relevant to, you know, who you are and your expertise and so on, uh, are the kind of things that I would answer. Interesting. And now it's time for leadership. And the first thing here is always a straight shooting one. Are you a good leader? Um, am I a good leader? Well, actually, it's very timely. I am a very good and very bad leader. And I think like you probably felt that as a leader yourself, at some point in your organization or in the life of your company, the flaws and the advantage that you have as a person are extremely clear at the level of the company. And I think I've reached this point where, you know, like there are some things that I do that clearly like uh, that people tell me, uh, it's not in behalf of you or whatever, like I do ask for feedback from the team where, you know, there is a form of energy, of care, of candor, of attention to people and to details that we manage to have at site that is really, really good. Um, there is a form of, you know, kindness, uh, you know, staying human, even if it's business, uh, that I think are really good. We have energy, we push for innovation, like all these things I, I believe that I push for and I, I bring. Uh, so I'm inspiring and so on. And then like there is all the drawbacks, which is basically I'm too involved in details. I actually add noise rather than clarity. And you have already tapped into it a bit, but I want to go a bit layer deeper here regarding superpowers. What would you say are your like top two to three superpowers uh, as a leader? I can have contagious excitement. Like startups, the challenge of startups is you go against the odds, right? If anybody looks at a startup that starts, like literally, like there is no startup in the world where you would not say, well, this probably will fail. Like that, that's that's the case. I mean, any startup like in the world, like you look at it and especially its inception, it will probably fail. And so, you know, like a lot of people can be um, demotivated by that and they shouldn't join a startup if so. And, and uh, you know, I, I think I had like this very good kind of impact on my team on, you know, making them understand or feel that it's possible. Nice. And then bad things or the worst things as a leader, what is that according to you and how do you stay on top of it? I think it's battling with, I think any founders probably at with the team experience that. I think it's battling with the, with the fear and your necessity to kind of like remove the fear from your team. Like fear is natural, right? Like as we said, startup is going against the odds. And I think like, you know, when you have times that are hard, for instance, like we had to lay off 10 people like a few months ago. Very, very tough, you know. We never had to do that. You know, we did it for the right reason. It was a really good move and so on. Very, very hard. We do the move, not only it's hard during the moment, but after that, you know, like 
I was probably one of, with my co-founder, like of the most impacted people in the team because we had to kind of run through the process with every single person and explain them, like we needed to let them go. And then we needed to help the managers to cover with that and to handle the frustration and so on, right? So you are one of the person that is the most affected by the bad stuff. And at the same time, your role, or at least I felt, I feel my role is to make sure that the other people don't feel bad about it. And how do you stay on top of it then? What, what's your like best playbook or hack here? Having the right people by your side. So my co-founder, you know, like when you start speaking about it with somebody else, it helps remove the emotion and realize, okay, you know, like this is a very good move for the team, for the company. This remains business. We'll do everything in our power to have like, you know, a great process for the people that we let go. Here is the, the opportunity that it opens up. You know, having somebody by your side that is as involved as you, uh, which is, you know, like, I mean, you need to find this person, right? But Pierre makes is good for me, basically. I know that. Uh, I think that that just helps a lot. Talking about co-founders, it's time for the second external question that actually from my <laughs> co-founder today, Hampus. Uh, so here we have Hampus from Vam, and this is his question to you, Chris. Awesome. Hey, Chris. So during the last few months, we've seen companies from around the world kind of walk back on their previous remote work policies and forcing workers back to the office. So Slight has been remote uh, first since kind of before it was cool. So how will this back to the office trend uh, impact you, you think? <laughs> so it was a remote first before it was cool and after it was uncool, I guess. Uh, I, th I think it won't impact us too much, honestly. Um, I mean... Remote has always been a part of our brand. Like we try to evangelize for remote, but what we try to evangelize beyond remote is just like healthier way of working. Like we just want to have like a place where you feel uh, fulfilled both professionally and personally. And I think remote is a good solution to that. And I think we need, you know, better tools to avoid people like being frustrated like we saw during the pandemic. Um, but, you know, like in terms of our business or whatever, we have like so many teams that are distributed, hybrid, uh, some in, in the office, mostly not, but, you know, like still we have like, very vast variety and the problem that we are solving for teams is universal like the teams in an office shouldn't be in meetings room all day and they understand that and you know like they need to have like a tool like slide like they, they have the same problem like they have the same problem of like they can't be always uh you know in the same room talking and knowing what their teammates uh has in their brain and so they need a tool to kind of like make the junction and, and create collaboration between the team and regarding from a company culture slash leadership perspective you don't think the like more forced back to office mindset now will have an impact on you on that perspective yeah i mean like you know like uh when we are here i'm sure that we'll get many more people like i think i think people have understood the value of remote and also understood like that you know like teams that are not suited for that or not planned for, for this move actually are really bad and I think they are eager to join a company that is used to remote and, you know, put the right future to make it work. So I think on this regard, I think it will be positive for us. Uh, but I, that's all the impact I think it will have on us. Hampus, thank you for the question. And, <laughs> yes, thanks, Hampus. <laughs> great to hear you again in the pod. And uh, now it's time for you to uh, summarize, Chris. If you have to summarize leadership from your point of view with one word, what would that be? Hmm. Oh, that's too hard. Come on. Like, that's the hardest question that I've ever heard. Um, I mean, one one that I think matter the most is care, I guess. Then leadership is all about care. And we are entering the roundup. 
And now you're talking to yourself. If you would give yourself, when you were a younger CEO, the top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know, <laughs> what would you tell yourself? I would say trust yourself uh, on the direction of the products. It would be much easier to go your way and roll back than trying to kind of make up with, you know, like whatever kind of opinion. And you're entitled to kind of like believe in yourself. Um, I will say um, spend time understanding marketing, like spend time where you are not the best. Um, and I will probably say uh, understand that you need like a unique positioning, like really double down on thinking, you know, like slide can remain the same product. It can remain uh, very much in the category that you're doing, but try to understand how to make it like uniquely differentiated in your category. It's it's quite tactical, but I think that would be probably the thing that the rest, I think I got it. So I think this will be the, the most useful for myself, my, myself. Yeah, and that's what I asked for. Tell yourself the things that you <laughs> would have known earlier. Okay, so we have arrived to the very end and we only have the last question then. Where will Slight be in five years? I want Slight to be in uh, reference in our market and I think it will be translated by like, you know, multiple hundreds of million of our business. And I wish you the best of luck with that as a happy customer too. And now, quickly, <laughs> and now I'm quickly shifting the focus to you as been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, if you think that you got any value of Chris here, please tell a colleague or a friend to listen to Chris from Slide in B2B SaaS CEOs. And thing number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Christoph, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help the community and me to keep on learning. That's awesome. Thanks, Joseph. Awesome.